gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Gospel of our Savior. Praise to you, Lord Christ. So good morning. Welcome again to all of you, new, longtime members, people checking us out, those of you who are just checking in, and many of you who are just here for a respite. This week, I don't have to belabor the point, felt like to many of us an ending. Something like the ending that we just heard from the Gospel according to Matthew, ascending forth a call to action, the sense that something was being lost, maybe it needs to be lost, the sense that what we thought we knew about ourselves and about our country and about our world had to come to some kind of end which means, of course, that we are at a new beginning. And that is in part what this strange and wonderful Sunday we call Trinity Sunday is all about. Because if you also heard, we started at the beginning with that gorgeous reading from Genesis that Caroline read. These readings are meant to take us to the very foundation of our tradition and our faith. And uh, quite honestly, they give preachers like me, even supposedly seasoned preachers like me, the willies. Because how do we preach on the Trinity? A couple of colleagues of mine were in conversation this week that I was party to about what they called the three-body problem of preaching this week. Because on the one hand, they had to say something about what was going on in the wider society. On the other hand, they had to say something about their local community. And on yet the other hand, they had to talk about strange people known as the Cappadocians back in the fourth and fifth century, or Nicaea back in the fourth century, or emperors of empires that have long disappeared into history. The Trinity is a doctrine and a set of theologies that didn't spring up out of whole cloth or overnight. It was a long, centuries long, difficult slog in trying to draw the body of the faithful together as the church grew over many different cultures and in many different societies in late antiquity. And what that meant was by the time the 
development of the creed that we're about to say rolled around, there were Christians who were literally killing each other in the streets over questions of who is Jesus, who am I, and which bishop do I support? There you go, things got political real fast. And it took the hard fist of not one, but two emperors to get everybody together to try to come up with something that resolved it. Of course, we have to tell the truth. And the truth is it didn't resolve anything. A lot of the heresies it was meant to solve lingered at least well into the ninth century and some of them are still with us. So the Trinity is still a mystery that is unfolding in our lives and the theology about it still needs a lot more ink put to paper. But I will say this, Trinitarian doctrine or Trinitarian theology, if you like, is our culture as Christians. It's like the water we swim in. And if you ask a fish to explain water, let alone what it's like to feel wet, the fish can't tell you much, right? And yet it is something that we are familiar with in the language of our liturgies. We talk about the Trinity all the time and we hear it echoed, even in the scriptural passages we heard today where the seeds were planted long before Nicaea, long before emperors had anything to do with the church and long before Christians were more than small communities eking out an existence on the edge of civilization. I want to touch briefly on the three-body problem because it's informative. Some of you may already know what it is, and I'm going to wear my geek hat a little bit and talk because, amongst other things, I like to listen to astronomy cast. If some of you have ever listened to that podcast. It's all about things astronomical. And the three-body problem is a very old problem in physics. It goes back to Newton's laws of gravity. Newton's laws, which are rooted in mathematics, of course, can describe what happens when you get two reasonably closely aligned bodies, two, two bodies of a similar size together in space. And the best example, of course, is something that we're all reasonably familiar with, and that is if you get two stars close together, they enter a dance, an orbit, a mutual orbit around a common center of gravity. And their motion is very predictable. The math tells us what things were probably like in the past, and the math tells us what things are probably going to be like in the future. And so they settle down into a nice predictable pattern. You can even set your watch by it. Now enters the three-body problem. Another star about the same size comes along in the two-star system. And suddenly, much to everyone's horror, including probably Sir Isaac Newton, everything is off. All bets are off. Nobody knows what's going to happen next. And there is nothing that we can do mathematically to tell us either what has happened in the past with a three-body system, or what is going to happen in the future with a three-body system. Maybe one of the stars will get thrown out of the system altogether. Maybe they'll be exchanging orbits with one another unpredictably for a long period of time. 
Maybe they'll settle into something for a while and then it will break and become chaotic again. We don't know. So what if we take that notion of a lack of predictability and we port it over to our understanding of the Trinity? What does the Trinity then tell us? We have a God who is unpredictable. And there is no way that we can formulate in our theology or in our forecasts or in our math about what God is going to do next. And you know what? In a strange way, that is a comforting thought because it means there is more ahead of us. There is more in terms of possibility. I want to offer you a kind of primitive view of the Trinity. And by primitive, I don't mean thoughtless. I mean primitive going back to what our earliest spiritual ancestors were wrestling with as they thought about how to describe this God that had been disclosed to them by the presence of Jesus in their midst and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I want to frame this by using language one of my mentors was very fond of using as we talked about spirituality, as we talked about theology too. And that is to frame these questions with two words. What if? What if? Our most ancient spiritual ancestors in Jewish tradition had choices to make when they were talking about Yahweh, the God that had taken them out of bondage and led them to the promised land. They could think about Yahweh as one of many gods, a tribal god, maybe even a kind of capricious god who happened to rescue them but might punish them at any moment. A god who, like many other gods in the peoples around them, demanded sacrifice a God who demanded allegiance and complete loyalty, a God who would lead them to places that would not be comfortable, that would be difficult. The Greeks would come along centuries later and offer a different kind of God, a God who was completely impersonal, a God that transcended all things, a God that was perfect, and because none of us are perfect, we could not even approach this God. The God of Plato, you might say. The God beyond all knowing. But it was our ancestors of first century Judaism and early Christianity who started to posit what if what if this God we have is not just the tribal God of old, is not just the transcendent God that is beyond all knowing and understanding? What if this God is both and more? What if this God is so personal to us that Jesus means it when he says it, when he calls this God Abba? Not just father, but daddy. Someone close and intimate to us who knows us better than we know ourselves. 
this same God who created everything that we can see and can't see, this God who was there from before the beginning, this God who we know will be there after we are long gone, this God knows us through and through, and more than that, loves us. What if? What if our ancient spiritual ancestors thought, what if this Jesus who has come among us means it when he calls himself the Son of God and the Son of Man? Pointing back to an old text about the appearance of a young being with the great God of our ancestors. What if, what if Jesus is God? Come among us. As the old song goes, what if God became one of us? Not just taking on some clothes, not just walking in our moccasins for a few miles, but took on our lives, good, bad, up, down, joyful, suffering, all the way even into death. What if, what would that mean? Would that mean that God loves us more than we even thought? That it's not just God the Father or God the Mother, it's not just God here among us in our imaginations, but God in flesh, God in flesh even in us. God drawing us even beyond death. What if? What if? And what if the reason that we are all here today has nothing at all to do with us ultimately at all? Yeah, we had to say yes, and we had to show up, and we had to click the links, and we had to turn on the cameras, mute the mics. But what if ultimately it's not our fault? What if ultimately we were drawn here by the breath of God, the spirit of God? That wind, Genesis tells us, that moved over the waters of chaos at the very beginning of creation. That breath that brought all things into being and that continues to communicate to us in our hearts. That breath that Jesus gave to his first followers after the resurrection and then gave them the awesome commandment to forgive, to forgive, to start reconciling the whole world to God. Our first charge, if you like, after Easter. What if? What if the Spirit is so close to us that we begin to understand that we can't breathe without the presence of the Spirit of God active in us? And that every breath is divine. How does that change things? How does that change things for you? And how does that change things for me? How does that change things for us? 
Above all, how does that change things for the world that is struggling so hard right now? What if the spirit is already out there at work in that struggle? And what if when we carry the spirit of forgiveness, we go out and we meet the spirit in others, even those who haven't been part of this wonderful life in the Trinity? What if the Trinity tells us that at the very heart of God is diversity, community, relationship, love, unpredictability, hope, joy, and that this whole great dance that we call life is life in that God. What if? Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.